0: Thank you.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Romantic About Baseball podcast. I am your host, Adam McKinnon, joined as always by my cohort, uh, Jim Passen Jr. Jim, hello.
2: Hello. Ooh, good evening.
1: And a very special guest with us this week. We have Bailey from Foolish Baseball. Welcome to the show, my friend.
0: Hey, Jim, Adam. Thanks for having me.
1: You know, normally I feel like we, you should be the ones introducing us in, in this situation, but, uh, we would really, if we're going to reverse the roles, we'd like to introduce you and we want to know what, for the people who may not already know who is, what, what is Foolish Baseball?
0: Sure. So, uh, Foolish Baseball is a, uh, a YouTube channel that I have. Um, it's kind of a, it's a one man production for now. So everything you see editing, um, research, writing, that's all me. Uh, I do basically a video essay series about uh, events in Major League Baseball. Some of them are pretty modern. So for example, I did a, uh, a video about Juan Soto this year, kind of a deep dive on his young and burgeoning career as a star, but I've also done videos on uh, Willie Mays's The Catch, or uh, Old Haas Radborn, 1880's Pitching Extraordinaire. So um, definitely, like, its I think the goal of it is just to create uh, you know, an interesting series of videos, 10 to 15 minutes long called baseball bits. And, uh, they, sh- they should be able to sort of be binge watched almost like a Netflix show. I think that's kind of the goal is to have that level of quality and also, uh, just have something that, you know, viewers can keep coming back to over and over again and maybe learning something new.
1: Cool. I, you know, honestly, I've, I've been watching some of your work for a little while now. And, um, you know the production value is is something that I've always been really a fan of, and I know Jim, you've you've said the same thing to me multiple times.
2: Yeah, I I, I didn't get to follow um, Bailey uh, early in the in Foolish Baseball. I found Bailey, gosh, maybe six, seven, eight months ago. Somebody posted something and it came across my stream, and I was like, "What is this?" And uh, yeah, then you check out the videos, and it's like playing. It reminds me of playing my old video games, uh, Nintendo days, because I'm one of the older guys, and uh, playing some uh, Bases Loaded Two or something like that. But then getting all the cool uh, bits that he puts in on his videos, it's just amazing how he sets them up and uh, delivers them. Uh, it's a blast, and so ever since then, been a huge fan. And uh, I gotta say, I'm pretty jacked that he's on the show today. That's for sure.
1: Yeah, man, me too. And, and Bailey, how long? How long is this? it seems like kind of a recent venture so how long have you kind of been at this because i as i understand it, you do this this is your gig this is your full-time thing
0: yeah uh yeah at least for now um yeah so i've been doing youtube i guess on the foolish baseball channel for about a year and a half now but i've only been making the kind of video that i make now for uh, a little less than a year at least with regularity i think the first baseball bits episode i put up was would have been probably around a year ago Um, but the second one, uh, I put up, uh, was about Justin Verlander and inning he pitched for the Tigers, uh, the, the thesis statement of which was that basically he pitched the greatest inning of all time and no one really noticed. Um, and that's the one that sort of took off. That's the one that made me start taking this YouTube thing a little bit more seriously and, and trying to create content regularly. So I would say that was around the holidays of last year. So I think we're on to, you know, maybe about 10 months of this uh wow. so it is a, a pretty relatively new thing it's a, you know? you're
1: like a vet now in the in the you know uh, i guess the content creator world
0: <laughs> that's true yeah i've <laughs> i've uh i've basically played out a full season we'll, we'll put it that way nice
1: <laughs> and you're a greg maddox fanatic if i'm not correct right
0: i mean who isn't you that's know but yes true. as a uh, as someone who was uh uh i was a little young i kind of missed prime maddox but i do remember maddox pitching for the braves uh i you know i was i came up uh in the 90s uh with two parents who uh were diehard braves fans so i was just kind of indoctrinated from the get-go so yeah big maddox fan big chipper jones fan john smoltz you know you name it those yeah. are my guys
2: yeah I, I agree with you i agree with you and Now you're the biggest Tim LoCastro fan in the world,
1: through, right? <laughs> I'm yeah. the biggest Tim LoCastro's fan I'm because sure of that video. I am. I am. <laughs> yeah. I mean Before
0: if you, you to... just if you want to just have like a Mount Rushmore, you know, you just go Chipper, Smaltz, uh, and we're gonna go Jeff Francoeur, Tim LoCastro. Oh That's yeah, it's it. gotta That's be the big <laughs> core. Yeah.
1: <laughs> the next our generation's Vin Scully, uh Jeff Francoeur.
0: <laughs> yes, <Yeah>, absolutely.
1: <laughs> All right. That's awesome. So, I mean, so, uh, yeah, uh, we really appreciate you coming and hanging out with us for this, for this episode. Uh, we're going to go ahead and just, just dive right in here. Um, first want to cover a uh, news and notes, but there's just one particular thing I wanted to touch on. Um, so, uh, in the general headlines, uh, Joe Madden, uh, officially goes to back home, I guess you could say back to the angels. Um, you know he was with the system since night in the angel system since 1979 he was the bench coach during that infamous 2002 world series when uh troy percival name drop for you uh closed out the uh, giants after their epic collapse and uh so the big the first domino has fallen already before the even world series even starts and now we have a uh, litany of openings for managerial ranks. And, and when we talked the, uh, a couple days ago, I wanted you guys I'm just going to fire off really quickly the, the big profile openings. And you guys tell me uh, just a couple, you know, you know, of your favorites of these, of these uh, openings, the Phillies uh, have Joe Girardi linked uh, as the preferred candidate per the score. Padres of uh, Ron Washington and Jace uh, Tingler. The Royals have uh, Mike Matheny seems to be the, a front runner, uh, and the Giants Mark Kotze seems to have taken the lead. Uh, Cubs David Ross and Joe Espada, uh, Carlos Beltran seems to be a front runner for the Mets, and then the Pirates. I swear to God, I'm not making this up. Stubby Clapp has apparently uh, the St. Louis Cardinals first base coach has apparently the front runner. So uh, Bailey, uh, what do what do you think of all of those openings? Lay it on me. What do you? What, what's sure. your? What's your like top three or four in that group there?
0: All right. Well, I think number one, and uh, I'm curious to see how much of a consensus this is, but I think it has to be the San Diego Padres. Um, that you're just looking at an incredibly talented farm system right now. They have uh, good talent in the major league level that's young. They have Machado. They have Tatis Jr. Luis Urias came up, and then lurking in that system, you have Mackenzie Gore. But then even that like. Beyond that, they have so much le- uh, talent in the lower levels now that's starting to get some recognition, like uh, Xavier Edwards, Luis Camposano. Right. Um, yeah, I just, it's, you know, it's not, I don't think you arrive to San Diego and, and immediately, the, the immediate expectation is, you know, win 95 games. I don't think they're like that at the moment. I think they're just trying to see progress and player development amongst their younger players. So to, to manage San Diego, not everyone can do it but i do think it is a very appealing job at the moment uh i'll give you a couple more phillies right now are the most talented i think available in terms of major league talent um and i do think the big i think the biggest thing to keep in mind with the phillies is that they seem like at the moment the team that can be improved most by changing managers um gabe kapler's uh, tenure there was heavily scrutinized and um I think, but I think one big thing that we saw with the Phillies is that pretty much everyone in their pitching staff took a big step back um, in uh, in 2018 compared to 2017. Nick Pavetta was pretty bad. Aaron Nola wasn't as good as he was. Arietta took a step back. So if you can get a coach who can get the best out of those pitchers, and all of a sudden, you know, you're looking at a team that could not just be a favorite for the East, but for a favorite for the National League. Right. Um, another team I like from that, uh, also in the division. New York Mets uh I think the big thing for the Mets is that even though they didn't necessarily get what they wanted from a win-loss perspective last year they definitely got what they wanted from a player development perspective okay Pete Alonso came up he was amazing Ahmed Rosario doesn't look like a star but he looks like an everyday shortstop and that's kind of what they were waiting on their are waiting when's the year that Ahmed Rosario just kind of establishes himself um yeah and then obviously DeGrom was fantastic um so that you know from you know they have really talented players um and then sort of the, my flying under the radar pick i guess uh would be the san francisco giants uh this is a pretty underrated farm system they have some guys joey bart is kind of the heir apparent to posey at the moment like uh heliot ramos uh the outfielder they have um this is a definitely a big transition period for the giants they're not just moving away from bruce Bochy, but also A lot of the big names that helped them win three World Series in five years, you know, Brandon Bell, Brandon Crawford, Buster Posey, these guys aren't exactly stars anymore, uh, but they are still part of the franchise. Uh, It's just, you know, they're a historic franchise. You're not going to have massive expectations when you get there. I guess the biggest knock on them at the moment would be it's just a tough division right now the Padres are so clearly on a come up the Diamondbacks I think are on a real big come up the Dodgers are you know year in year out the toughest team in the National League but I think I don't know there's just something appealing about the Giants especially if they can get Bumgarner to sign back uh that would be that would kind of run on my top four
1: yeah I I agree with you I think uh, I think you think you made a lot of good points there uh Jim what do you got
2: no, I think he pretty much ruined mine. Uh, no. <laughs> I I'm an I'm an AL guy. Uh all the ones that you gave me to, to take a look at, uh it's gonna be the Royals for me. Uh I know we talked about it before about maybe a position that Madden might go and take over. It's still an intriguing spot for me. I still wanna know what a small market team's gonna do like this. Um they don't have very many people in the books after 2020 and 2021. Uh, I believe they only carry uh, Danny Duffy, Salvador Perez, and Whit Merrifield's contracts through 2021, and that's and they're pretty good deals. They're not terrible. Um, I think that they got a good system, a good set of young players. Uh, they got the ballpark to hold in the, the long ball. So if, if we're stuck in a juice ball era. I think if they can take on basically a model like Tampa Bay and uh, put somebody in charge of that, that just manages that team the way it needs to be managed. uh, I'd like to see a small market team make another move like like the Rays have been doing. They haven't they haven't faltered off theirs and they keep spending little, raising their talent, selling off talent to get more talent and uh, and staying up there. So the Royals for me is uh, is my big one that I'm watching. But then again i'm an al guy so right and i think that and i think that al central is something that's not really you know cemented in on on you know who's going to be on that top of that division you know the white Sox could be something to deal with here pretty quick um i don't know how sold i am on the twins um the indians mm-hmm. where they, are they twins at...
1: could vanish as fast as they arrived
2: yeah exactly and really i mean the royals aren't that far removed from a world series the the town still has a taste for it i mean only the cubs the astros and the red Sox have won a world series since the royals last won a world series so it's it's not like it's not there still so i'd like to see what happens there that's probably my number one look but that's just a kind of a homer pick for an al guy um (laughs) yes the only
1: al team that's true i didn't think about that Yeah.
2: yeah the al's pretty solid i mean the angels made their move um And then you got the Royals, yeah, position, but the AL East is staying pat. Nobody's going anywhere there. So, yeah, yeah, not not so much movement there. Um, But yeah, my it's my second. uh, I was looking at the Phillies. Um, It just seems to me like that team is a playoff team already, and it just it didn't get where it needed to go. I mean, you add Harper. I don't even think you needed to add Harper, and that was supposed to be a playoff team before that. Um, To not get there is a total disappointment. So I'm very curious to see what happens uh, next in Philadelphia. Um, second on my, or third on my list, I guess it'd be, would be the Chicago Cubs. Um seems like an odd area right there for the Cubs. It feels like it's a, a team that still has the, a lot of pieces to make a run for something, but yet it seems like they almost feel like they need to go into like a, like a quick rebuild or something to that effect. I'm really not sure about their farm system um it seems to me like it's a little depleted from from the moves that they've made when they won the 2016 series but uh uh bailey would probably know better than i would about the cubs farm system um you know how they're doing there
0: you know as far as you know major league talent that could make an impact you know 2020 i think nico horner's sort of the still the star he showed up i guess last september um beyond that it's it's pretty it's pretty barren compared to a lot of the organizations uh that have open managerial jobs
1: yeah that would be like a do you think like uh like jim was kind of hinting at there it's like a well our Jim, is that kind of what you're hitting at like maybe it could be like a win win soon or or not like a high turnover job for a little while
2: yeah, it seems like it's either got to be a real quick rebuild if you're going to be building around a Bryant or a Riz- and a Rizzo it still will be in there, Hendricks and the gang. It just seems like you'd have to really get on it right now, or else. I mean, what are you doing with those guys? You know, right. I'm convinced really not. they're
1: not going to keep both of them for very long.
2: Yeah, and I don't know. So that's it's curious to me see how the Cubs hire and then how they they go forward from here with with the pieces that they have to available to them now. So. That Yeah, so that one interests me a lot. And then Padres for all the reasons, all those reasons. It's just a a young club that's uh, energetic. Um, I love Paddock on the mound. Um, I think that the the future is bright there. You got Machado, and they they spent a ton of money on him. They didn't spend a ton of money on him to to lose. Right, seems like a Padres team that that wants to actually win baseball games. And uh, so... I'm curious to see who they put in charge of that and see if somebody can make that happen.
1: Yeah. I yeah, I, I'm gonna have to side with Bailey and, and agree on the number one for the Padres. What I'm most interested in in terms of who takes the gig, because they were talking about Ron Washington and you know, whoever it is, I feel like has got to be somebody who works well with young players and and Washington seems like a runaway favorite for me. Like if I if I'm in the Padres front office and uh, Bailey as a Braves fan, or I'm sure you'll agree with me, I love Wash. I think he's yeah. great. I think he works great with you know the work he's done with Albies and Acuna, and that and Swanson. I mean Dansby was a darn near Gold Glover one year. You know, out of nowhere with under working with Wash. So I I love uh, the Padres fit for all the reasons you said. Uh, I love the Royals as a number two pick and, uh, for kind of what, what, um, what we were talking about a couple episodes ago, Jim, where we were saying to me and Bailey, you tell me what you think, but like, I feel like this is a team that is probably going to, in terms of all the tanking teams, seems like the one with the most potential potential being the key word Mm -hmm. to like bottom out and then the quickest and then rise the quickest. It seems yeah. like the stage is set that way.
0: I, I can see that. Um, you know, the division they play in right now is, I would say, unstable might be the right word to describe yeah. it. We're not really sure <laughs> yeah. how legit the, either the Twins or the Indians will be next year mm. uh, or in the in the years to come. Um, yeah, I think the biggest appeal to the Royals right now is they do have some young hitters who are good and cost-controlled. I think Mondesi, Merrifield, uh, Jorge Soler, and Hunter Dozier uh, sort of – uh make up a decent core that they could try to build around. Um but yeah, I, you know, I don't it's not an optimistic outlook in terms of yeah. winning games in the short term, I think that's for sure. But, you know, um they would have I, to
1: win like 20 games to just not be terrible, and that would be a huge improvement. Right, yeah. Like that would be <laughs> that would be a thing. So, so yeah. And then, uh, my next pick would, would probably be the, the giants because, but for a different reason, Bailey, I feel like, and Jim, you might agree with me on this too. I feel like they're going to be big buyers in the offseat in the trade market. Um, I, 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 wrote an article earlier this year at the trade deadline where I swore up and down, these guys were going to get an outfielder. I feel like you add an outfielder to that mix i these i feel like the Giants have enough legacy power where they're going to they they are going to make a run and start trading to get uh some position players that can hit and so they're they're probably one of they're one of my top picks. And then from there, it just pretty much goes to the Phillies because, you know, because it's the Phillies and they got the lineup. They got the Major League Ready talent. And then um, the Mets, i just like to see Carlos Beltran coaching. That's just me. Carlos Beltran is one of my favorite, like, you know, early 2000s players that, you know, he just has a place in my heart. You know, what can I say?
2: Yeah, just, yeah, if we think about, like, the Giants, I don't know if the Giants are going to spend money. I really don't know if they'll spend money like that. They... They've got a lot of money on the books, I believe, and and I don't know if that's something that they're trying to get off the books before they start again. Uh, like Bailey was mentioning, they've got a great farm system, so maybe they can just balance the books where they're at now and just bring in some some guys on the low end uh, with low-end contracts. But, you know, yeah, I don't know. The Giants seems like, yeah, it feels like they're not that far away, but I don't know if they, if they can spend. I just don't know if they'll spend. Yeah.
0: They're kind of an enigma. Like, they had a stretch in the middle of the season last year where they were basically a playoff team, you know. Right. They kind of launched themselves from uh, not being into the race to now all of a sudden, you know, you thought that Will Smith was going to be, like, the number one reliever traded at the deadline and that he's a keeper for them, you know. Right. Uh, <laughs> down the stretch. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they, they definitely still have major league talent and it's interesting to see where uh, Farhan... Zaidi sort of uh, guides this team, whether he wants to go for, you know, sort of quick rebuild, reload, transition, or if it's going to be tear everything down, or if it's going to be, hey, you know, we had the stretch where we were really good last year. Let's try to get a wild card spot in 2020.
1: Yeah. I wonder if, you know, Zaidi's coming in from the Dodgers. He, you know, he sort of went, you know, they sort of let Bochi's year get away. Like, I feel like they kind of let the year get away from them. You know, they uh, the time to commit to the rebuild, if they were going to do it, was to ignore the short term record and trade Bumgarner. <laughs> you know, they that was they had to know. So I think feel like Zaidi's smart enough to know that was not sustainable. I just I have to believe that, and it, I my gut thought is that if they were going to tear it down, they were going to do it by trading Bumgarner. I think I'm I'm thinking more they're just going to pivot and retool, and just make another run at this while they have you know a couple of their legacy guys like like you were talking about Jim with uh with um you know Posey and Belt and Crawford you know like their their legacy guys.
2: Uh, but, it's just uh, such a tough division for them to try to do that. It just to me it's like it it seems true. like the wrong the wrong place to do it. It just seems like the Dodgers can outspend them already and already all already tooled up anyway. It would be a tough sell, but I mean, you know, this year proved it. I mean, he only needs a wild card spot. You don't, you you don't think the the collision
1: could be uh, could be perfect though. Like with the Dodgers, like, you know, there are a couple injuries, you know, I'm just, I'm not wishing anything. I'm just saying there are, there are a couple injuries away uh, from being vulnerable. And the Padres, like, we're are not quite there yet. Like, maybe there's, like, a, this, like, very narrow window of opportunity for them.
2: But, I think that's asking a lot, though, to, you know, yeah, to cost yourself, you know, 20 wins or something and injuries alone for a team like that would still leave them with 86 wins this year, right? It's just a... Yeah. Uh, yeah, I would. I think it would take a perfect storm in 2020 to see the Giants ahead of the Dodgers on any uh, standings at the end of the year. That's for sure.
1: Yeah, I could see that. I, I I think like I'm in Bailey's school of thought. If you could steal a wild card, you know, yeah. a, and then you know, uh, go from there. But at least, the, I mean, the Dodgers are. I don't know. They're they're already looking a little vulnerable these days. But such is life. Yep. Um, all right. So, um, we're going to take a quick break here and then we're going to come back with Jim's, uh, stat spotlight and talk about that for a bit. And welcome back, Jim. It's stat spotlight time, buddy. Talk to me.
2: All right, World Series time. It's World Series stat spotlight time. Uh, we have interleague game again now, so we're going get to get to get see the AL pitcher come to the plate. And I don't have many uh, AL pitchers that I like more standing at the plate than Zach Greinke. Uh, he was already raking earlier this year with the Diamondbacks before he got traded to the Astros. Uh, he is the only active pitcher with, I believe, more than like 10 hits to his name that has more hits than strikeouts in his career. I love him. And uh, he's matching up in game three uh, against Corbin. So uh, (laughs) I'm going to make a prediction as part of my stat spotlight. I'm going to predict that Zach Grinke ropes a triple in game three off of Corbin in his first plate appearance. And that will make him just the third American League pitcher to ever hit a triple in the postseason.
1: That's... That is a bold prediction.
2: Yeah, from Jim do you know Bassa. who those
1: other two guys were? Tell me.
2: The other two AL pitchers, the first World Series ever, in 1903, Red Sox. Cy Young. Cy Young was the first pitcher to ever hit a triple in the postseason. I think they were the Boston
1: and, Americans back then.
2: Boston Americans. Yep, against uh, Pittsburgh, I believe, in that series. Yes, yep. that's
1: Honus Wagner and the Pittsburgh
2: Pirates. And then only one other pitcher's ever done it. And that guy also played for the Red Sox in 1918. Any guesses? Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth, my friend. So just Cy Young and Babe Ruth, and then hopefully Zach Greinke will become the third pitcher from the American League to hit a triple in the postseason.
1: I want that in my life. I want yep.
2: that in my. I want.
1: I want all of Zach Green. Any Zach Grinky accomplishments. I want all of it.
2: And I love him with a bat in his hand. It's, I mean, I can't stand that the NL doesn't have a DH rule, except when Zach Grinky comes to the plate. <laughs> uh, it all, it all goes away. I mean, I know everybody talks about Bumgarner, but even a guard appearance and then and then your, your one-shot home run off of Bartolo Colon. But give me Zach Greinke all day with a bat. It's just amazing to watch him go up there, use the information that he knows as a pitcher, and use it right back against the pitcher that's opposing him. Nobody tries to help himself out more than Greinke fields his position, and, uh, yeah, uses his bat too. And so it was disappointing when he got traded to the Astros for me, but we're going to get a chance to see him with a bat in his hand here on the 25th in Game 3, which will actually be six months to the day since his first triple in his career when he hit one on April 25th against uh, Jamison Tyon earlier this year.
1: Uh, I want to see him chugging it. I just wanna see him just blazing oh. it around third. Hair. He's gonna
2: have to. I don't know if that feels built for too many triples with you know, the drinky <laughs> speed,
0: but <laughs> I wanna
1: see an Ozzy Albee's like helmet fly off and like just the blonde hair whipping in the wind, like I
0: am picturing it now in my head, in in Washington, in center, sort of right center. There is a little weird angle where if it just takes a weird cam off the wall, that could be the place he has to hit it if he's gonna leg like out a triple.
1: And you know it. he's gonna want it too. Like oh, I just, will. I just know. One of my favorite, I love anything related to Zach Greinke because he's such a weird dude, and I I love this guy. He um, my, my favorite Zach Greinke story, just really quick, was apparently. When he got the call to go to the majors, he looked his coach dead in the eye and just said, you know what, maybe I should go back to single a and, and come back up as a shortstop. Like, what do you think? Like, and the (laughs) coach, the coach was, you know, normally the coaches prank the players when they're coming up and, and the coach was so flabbergasted. He thought he was serious. (laughs) <laughs>
2: that sounds like a grinky thing. That's for sure. Yeah,
1: I love me yeah. some grinky grinky
2: nuggets. He, he's a goofy guy.
1: I I like ball players with personality personally.
2: Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. This whole game, this whole game's awesome. Yeah. Zach Grinky just makes it that much better.
1: I agree with that.
2: He's not Tim Lacastro though.
1: He's not Tim Lacastro. No. I don't think there is a Tim Lacastro out no. there. All right, um let's see, Bailey. Have you done any work on grinky?
0: Um, not for foolish baseball, but certainly <laughs> have looked up uh pretty much whatever granky anecdotes I can find online. Uh, I am kind of obsessed myself <laughs> um, that one, I think the one you just said, Adam, might be my favorite. um I just like the idea of it because that's supposed to be. The happiest day in any young ball player's life, and he's just like seriously considering just going back and becoming a shortstop. <laughs> uh, I recently tried to build a uh, a team exclusively out of pitchers, so you'd have you know pitchers hitting and fielding uh, all over the diamond. And I put Granke at shortstop because of that anecdote. Because I was like, well, <laughs> if he was willing to go back to single A, then I'm, I want him right there. You know,
1: I'm dying yeah. to know who was your who was your first baseman on that team.
0: It was a tall it was definitely a tall lefty. Um gosh, it might have been I've gotta think about this. I might have put um not entirely sure how to say his name, but Steven Brault, Stephen Brook, the guy on the Pirates. Oh um, yeah, he's a Yes, he was big a pretty good dude. hitting pitcher. Um but yeah, I think I wanted tall, tall lefty.
1: Was was Fister was Doug Fister a lefty? I remember you know, him being like freakishly tall, but I don't know if he was a lefty or not.
0: You know, I feel like he was a but. You know, I'm gonna look it up on a wonderful website called BaseballReference.com. Yes,
1: yes, Uh, they're not a sponsor or anything. I promise. (laughs) Uh,
0: Here's the here's the good thing. Yeah, Doug Fister batted lefty, through righty. So if you put him at first base, I don't know. You know, I guess he, I guess he fields righty. but you never know. You know, but he was six foot eight, so that's a plus.
1: He, I am like putting a. That's like when the bat looks like like it looks like a kid's bat. You know what I mean. That, that's that's what I felt like every time Fister would take the mound. I, I he is I think most of his career was like Tigers and Rangers. I think this is just off the top of my head. I don't think did he pitch in the NL at all.
0: No, I feel like he had a stint with the Red Sox too. That maybe went spectacularly bad. Oh but, yeah, that's um,
1: right. He signed like a big contract or something.
0: Yeah, because like. he had a good year or two in Detroit. That's mostly where I remember him from.
1: Right. Yeah, man, Doug Fister, anytime you can get a Doug Fister reference during the uh the stat spotlight, I'm kind of <laughs> you,
2: you know you're doing your job. Oh, we've made it all the way to Doug Fister. Yeah. <laughs> uh, every stat spotlight should end up on Doug Fister. Now,
1: do you do you guys have a player like all right, cuz um do you guys have a player you always like you just love finding a way to trace something back to them? Like just a random I'm talking random player You just, you're able, and Jim, this is especially true for you, like, is there a player, like, they just come up in this, like, you know, pulling of the thread on the sweater, and you're just like, heck yeah, I'm I'm so glad this guy was there.
2: I mean, if you can tie anybody to, like, I mean, for me, it feels like a, like a Walter Johnson or a Babe Ruth. If you just can get to that point, I mean, you you've got something pretty cool. I think. Um, Jim, you got to get I,
1: weird on me. You you got to get weird. Babe Babe Ruth, Walter Johnson, fantastic picks. I mean, get get weird. I'm talk, Mine is Bob Wickman. Okay, get get that get get like Fat Tubelard Bob Wickman on me here.
2: If I come across an Andy Stankowicz stat then I uh, <laughs> then I know I've ran into probably somewhere I don't need to be when I'm doing a stat. <laughs> but no person in my entire life has ever uh ever stuck in my head harder as a baseball as a baseball player. Growing up as a kid, I would played the shortstop on my little league team. And uh and when I grew up in the eighties the Yankees just weren't the Yankees that we know of lately, right? So um we didn't have that all-star lineup. So, the good old days. Yeah, I I was out there practicing in the yard, throwing the ball off the wall and getting it to bounce back to me, and I'm playing shortstop like Andy Stankiewicz, and that's <laughs> Stankiewicz. That's probably why my career
0: didn't go very far. Yeah.
1: Bailey, who, who's your who's your who's your guy? Who's the guy yeah. of the lump on the thread where you're like, heck yeah.
0: Yeah. Anytime I stumble across anything to do with Antonio Alfonseca, wow. I'm having a pretty good day. Um, <laughs> I like Antonio Alfonseca because uh, I believe he had six fingers on one of his hands. Um, and it reminds me of The Princess Bride because oh. <laughs> <and Inigo> Montoya's <laughs> father was killed by a six-fingered man. Um, <laughs> But yeah, anything Antonio alfonseca related—that's gonna—that's gonna really brighten my day. If I'm just on a, you know, a reference page or a Fangraphs page, maybe looking at a team a certain year, and I see Antonio Alfonseca through 20 innings for them, that's really gonna just make my day.
2: <laughs> His nickname was the Octopus. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I love Wait, it, is,
1: is that real? The Octopus? That, that's
2: real. That is real. That the octopus.
1: dude probably threw a wicked changeup. I don't even know anything about Antonio Alfonseca, but please, oh, yeah. please tell to be able
0: me. To throw a good
1: please tell me this guy threw just a Glavin-esque changeup somewhere in his career.
0: I mean, you'd have to think so, right? You know, if you've got it rolling off, you know, six fingers instead of five, you're just gonna have more speed loss compared to your fastball you know yeah. i think that's that's what we're missing in the analytics movement right now is right. guy extra appendages <laughs> who can...
1: that's right <laughs> where is the spin rate on this guy that's what i want to know all right well that we've,
0: uh,
2: we've moved our way from what three finger uh brown right? <laughs> all, the, all the way up to six finger we, alpha we've right?
1: doubled the number of appendages you can't tell me evolution's not real people
2: this stat spotlight's gotten awesome
1: yeah this is this is this is number one stat spotlight
2: well i can't wait for bailey to come back next week and do this all over again (laughs) you you guys should have me on the show that'd be great yeah
1: right (laughs) (laughs) all right so uh, we're gonna take a quick break after that fun little endeavor and then we're gonna come back with our world series preview and uh, i'm sure i'll put someone on the spot all right we'll be right back And we're back. Uh, so we are here to, uh, in the Eve, I guess this is World Series Eve, um, to, uh, to talk about the uh, last World Series of the 2010s uh, the Houston Astros and the Washington Nationals. Uh, just, and you know, this wasn't the matchup that many people predicted. And if you say you predicted it, I'm going to ask for documentation. Uh, I think, uh, didn't uh, Jeremy pick this? No, Bob Nightingale picked
0: this. Oh, God. Jeremy Jeremy did pick this World Series. Did Um, he? Yeah.
1: Okay, but don't, don't ruin my day with Bob Nightingale right now.
2: Yeah, They're, that's not
0: really cool, though, that both
2: of them picked it. I really respect and, uh, one of those two. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, Bob Nightingale, he's a great guy. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, really, really personable. No no scorching hot takes there. <clears throat> anyway, um, so, uh, yeah, basically, uh, this wasn't a matchup a lot of people picked. However, to me, it's really intriguing just to run down the probable starters. And this is what makes it so intriguing is the probable is the starting pitching here. You've got Game 1's lining up Max Scherzer versus Garrett Cole. Uh, The Unstoppable Force versus the Immovable Object. Um, Steven Strasburg faces off against Justin Verlander in Game 2. Then Zach Grinke versus Question Mark. I'd imagine maybe Patrick Corbin, even if it's Annabelle Sanchez. That's still an interesting uh, matchup there. And uh, so anyway uh, Bailey what is what's your what's your keys to the to the series here for for, for each team
0: sure I think for the Nationals right now uh, I was looking at their playoff history specifically this season and um, I'm not the first to point that out. This out, but 90% of their innings have come from six pitchers during this playoff run. Right. Uh, you have the big three: Strasburg, Scherzer, and Corbin. And then on top of that, you have Anibal Sanchez, Daniel Hudson, Sean Doolittle, and pretty much that's been it. You know, you might see a little little rant, Tanner Rainey, a little Hunter Strickland, uh, Fernando Rodney experience. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think I feel like you know. Right here we're at the very end, it's been a very long season. There's been a lot of miles put on these arms, both in the regular season and especially the playoffs. So you know, someone else is gonna have to pitch well outside of those six. Um so I'm I'm interested to see who that will be for them. It, I I suspect it might be Tanner Rainey who has some pretty nasty stuff. Right. Um I think the biggest thing is um I'm interested sort of in the how the the benches uh match up. I feel like that's an advantage for Houston. You know, I feel like, honestly, star for star, like, uh, Washington can compete with that, at least, uh, you know, in terms of starting pitchers. You know, their big three versus Houston's big three. That's a pretty fair matchup. Um, You know, uh, Houston has Bregman, but guess what? Washington has Rendon, you know. Um, But, yeah, but then when you look at the benches right now, um, you know, Washington's been working with Matt Adams, Brian Dozier, Estruble Cabrera, Gerardo Parra. Whereas, you know, for Houston, that could be Almiz Diaz. That could be Jake Marisnyk. That could be Kyle Tucker. You know, right. that seems like an advantage to Houston for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, not to steal everyone else's talking points, but I just feel like um, despite good performances from Hudson and Doolittle, like, I feel like I still think Presley, Osuna, and Harris are three relievers from Houston. I would take ahead of any reliever in Washington right now. Um, so yeah, that's that's gonna obviously uh, play big into this series as well, especially as we get we get deeper and deeper into it.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I think I think it's gonna be uh, it's gonna come down a lot to how how each team utilizes the players that don't run out uh, in the first inning because mm-hmm. uh, they match up you know, fairly decently. Uh, Jim, what, Jim, what do you think? What's your, what's your keys here?
2: Yeah, it's like the Nats. Uh, if we should stay on the Nats here, the bullpen, right? We, we talked about it, uh, for the the wild card game. We talked about it, the NLDS. We've talked about it for the uh, NLCS. Um, and every time what did Washington do? They just went around it. They said, all right, we won't use our bullpen except for when we get far enough ahead, we'll throw the Fernando Rodney out there basically. And, um, they just went with their starting pitchers just pitching on, on shallow rest as a relief. And I don't know if they can make that strategy hold up for a seven-game series. They barely made it hold together for a five-game series. and uh, But it almost seems like um, the recipe works if this team's willing to shoot that arrow. It's just going to be, are they going to go and say, okay, let's just try to take this series in five games from the Astros thinking that they probably can't do it in seven and just throw everything that you got at them. Full-court so press, as, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that was all they did. As soon as they got in a pressure situation, they brought out, oh, okay, well, Scherzer's available. Bring him out of the pen. We'll use him. It didn't matter. It was just, it was better than throwing away the game with whatever they had in the bullpen. So if they want to try to do that again, they're not going to last very long. It's its going to be a four-game, five-game series if they try to do that maneuver. It's either they're going to win it that quick or they're going to lose it that quick. So um, I see that out of the Nats, right? Soto's going to have to get hot. Um He's gonna have to work for them, and then the starting pitching, right? You know, it's it's you got beast Scherzer, beast light Strasburg, and then you got beast ultra light Corbin. In my eyes, I think that's a good trio, and I think uh, I think they can they can make some magic happen. And I think the the problem ends up being that they're going against the Astros, um, right? Can carry carry just the equal amount of weapons on the pitching side. And then just hitting-wise, I mean, the Astros didn't strike out much this year. Their postseason hasn't really relayed that as well. But then again, it's the postseason. The pitching's gotten better. Um, but I you've been facing the Yankees' the
1: bullpen, play. too, you know, that, that's yeah. It's tough.
2: Yeah, you're going to rack up some strikeouts there. So I see them being able to put the ball in play. I see them putting more pressure on hitters-wise on the Nationals, and then I just don't know if the Nationals' defense will hold up. So, right. yeah, I, I, I see, a, I see a lot of strength in the Nats, but I see the same strengths in the Astros. And so for me, the Nats, it feels like they just have to, they have to throw caution in the wind and do everything it can to win every game that they play.
1: Right. I, I agree with you, Jim. I, I feel like that's, that's going to be the, the full court press, the full on the sellout blitz is going to be what the nationals are going to have to do, um, for me, the, the key is really going to be for the nationals. It's, it's the bottom third of their lineup, um, you know, between and, or really the bench kind of like what, um, what Bailey was talking about. I just picked uh, in the NLCS. I picked guys that had more at bats than pitchers, but less at bats than, you know, the starters uh, usually around, you know, eight to 10 at bats or so. And uh, between Kurt Suzuki uh suzuki gomes taylor and robles they had about a 731 ops hmm. and when you figure that i mean that's not terrible but it's also not against the astros pitching and so that that doesn't bode well like what bailey was talking about with the you know the match up the benches and the bottom parts of their lineups and what who they're going to sub in and out advantage astros Um, Yeah. And then, um, you know, for the, you know, on the other side of the coin, you know, for me, it's just the, I put for, you know, keys against the Astros, like bullpen issues, question mark. Like, cause I guess there could be some. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And, um, you know, the Astros like, can they make it past the starters? Like, you know, if they get buried, you know, if they're being overly patient and they just get buried early on, You know, I guess there's nothing stopping Martinez from running out, you know, instead of using Corbin, you know, as a starter, use him as a long relief two or three games in a row, you know, who knows? But uh, I just, I ultimately feel like a lot has to go right for the Nats. I'm picking the Astros. I am not that crazy, but you know, I we've... uh, at some point, yeah, we gotta. The, it's like a, it's a self fulfilling prophecy. The Nationals got to. We gotta stop betting against them at some point, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. I mean, for the Astros, I mean, can we can we admit that they're in the World Series and they probably almost looked the worst that they've looked in the last month and a half? I mean, and still got through what they've gotten through, right? They they got past the Rays and they got past the Yankees, but. They have. I mean, Springer struggled pretty early in this uh, postseason before he finally got things rolling the last couple games. It's it it just hasn't been an overly impressive Houston Astros, and it seems like they're gonna show up. I mean, it's only gonna get better. That was twenty
1: seventeen, wasn't it? Didn't Springer go like strike out more than like like forty percent of the time until he hit to the World Series and just caught fire?
2: He just goes nuts. I don't remember if
0: that was Springer or not. Uh, Bailey, been, do you remember that? I mean, I remember him going nuts in the World Series, but I don't, I don't know what his struggles were like yeah, before I, that. Yeah,
1: I been, feel like he just was like dog turds leading yeah. up to the World remember, Series, and then just went crazy.
2: Yeah, I remember Bellinger struggling, and I remember Judge struggling that ALCS, but I don't know. Man, yeah, I remember
1: watching Bellinger just swing over those breaking balls, looking like a barber pole, just yeah. like it, it was almost predictable. Like you could just throw him a low breaking ball. Well, there it goes. You know?
2: Yep. Exactly. So I'll take it. I'm going to go with the Astros in six in this matchup. It just seems like they're the better team. If they play as good as they should, it's going to be over. Who's your MVP? Oh, man. I really want to go with the... I really want to go with the Altuve pick because of what he did and uh, to my Yankees, dang it! Anyway, but uh, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, give me the give me the one that was trending over the last couple of days. Give me Yuli Gurriel, um, oh. what one for twenty in the LCS, but had a bunch of hard hit balls, just didn't go his way. You know, let him swing back the other direction, let the pendulum go all the way to the other side, let him bat five hundred in the World Series and take home that that honor.
1: Wow. All right, Bailey, what do you got?
0: Okay, I'm gonna take Astros in seven games. Um, I, I think Jim and I like we definitely agree like this is uh, the type of series where um, you know, if if it goes sort of south for the nationals, it'll be because they overexerted themselves with some of that starting pitching and then, um, and I can see that happening. So I'm going to go Astros, but I think it'll take them, honestly, seven games to break them down because this is just going to be a real war of attrition, uh, specifically regarding how the Nationals manage these great pitching arms they have in those innings. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, you know, this is this is not, you know, like – you know, oh, I'm 80% sure, you know, the Astros are going to win. this. It's like a 60-40 split right now. I just feel like the Astros are a little bit better uh, in some of the key areas, such as the bench and the bullpen. Um, one thing I'll say, though, to the Nationals' credit, you know, this they have basically the same record as the Astros ever since they got over that really horrific start, whatever it was, 1931, 1831. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I'm going to take Astros in seven, and then MVP pick I will take, uh, this is going to be... Perhaps the hottest take of all time, but I will take a little-known pitcher by the name of Garrett Cole.
1: Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Really? You sure you want me to record this?
0: <laughs> yeah, I
2: know. <laughs> wow. Really
1: going out on a limb there.
2: Way crazy. Yeah. Good Lord.
1: All right. So I'll tell you what. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to be the contrarian one. I'm going to take the Nationals. I'm going to flip my script from what we were just talking about a few minutes ago, but I'm feeling inspired. Love it. I'm going to take the Nationals in five I'm gonna say the the war of I'm gonna say the all out full court press the sellout blitz, and I I will make a I will make an MVP prediction of Max Scherzer, and because he makes the game he pitches a game one complete game, mm. and then makes two not one but two epic Bumgarner style relief appearances, just. Just you know, this is it. He just he his arm literally falls off, uh, you know, halfway to home plate. So I'm taking the Nationals in five, and it pains me to say it as a Braves fan, but I'm gonna do it. Nationals in five. Scherzer's my MVP.
2: I'm kind of cheering for him. I mean, I, I mean, the Astros won it two years ago. I'm I'm picking the Astros because yeah it's probably the way it feels like it's going to go for me right but i'll be watching that tv i'll be cheering for the nationals all the way i mean what i want i want a national sweep right give me a national sweep of the astros wow. I will take that it'll be the second time any team has ever swept the lcs and the world series if they do it they'll join the 1976 cincinnati reds that'd be pretty cool it'd be a great story for washington who hasn't I mean, had a World Series game in that city for I don't even know how long.
1: Well, let's not get greedy, Jim. All right. We're, I already have to Do suffer it. through watching the Nationals in the World Series and picking them to win, mind you. Don't, Keep, don't, don't make sweep. me put them in the history books, too. Go for the sweep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah, you know, honestly, I, would, I, I think this is going to be a better World Series. It's going to be a better World Series for guys like us like for for us three and guys that really and girls you know everyone that really enjoys watching high quality baseball I don't think it's going to be like the home run derby of 2017. I don't think it's going to be, you know, I, I feel like this is no matter what the outcome, I feel like this is almost as reminiscent of the excitement level of like a 2015 world series, even though it didn't go a lot of games, it still had like the ball was always in play. In this case, it'll be the sort of the opposite. Like the, the ball will, you know, always not be in play. Yep. So I think there's some potential here for a,
2: for a pretty epic series. Yeah, heck yeah. And you can get warmed up on it, and I'm going to throw my boy a little bit of a a line here. You can go over to Foolish Baseball on YouTube, and you can get all warmed up. He's got everything there for you. The Hype Machine, Steven Strasburg, you can go check that out. And you can do the Soto one, one of my favorites, the Hitting Machine. Go check those out before you you catch up with the World Series. That's some good stuff there, that Soto one. ah, I love that one, man. That was great. So shameless plug for my boy
0: Bailey that's good it's not keep in mind it's never shameless if you're not promoting yourself so this is a selfless plug you know (laughs) it's not shameless that's right (laughs) see Perfect.
1: perfect 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 segue there no that's awesome um, well, listen, I, I keep, Bailey, I really can't thank you enough, uh, for, for, uh, coming on and hanging out with, with Jim and I for a, a bit, you know, this was really a treat for us and, uh, you're a, you're, you're a, you're a good egg for, for coming in and, and coming to hang in with us.
0: Hey, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. It's good. Always good to talk baseball.
2: Absolutely. Hey, thanks. Thanks for being on with us, I, man. It was great meeting you. Uh, I look forward to having you on next week and the week after and everything else. <laughs> That's too. right. So, um, yeah. Thanks for uh, yeah getting on here though. It's uh, it's an honor meeting you and, and getting to talk to you and and pick at your brain. So uh, keep making those great videos.
1: Absolutely. Just remember, guys. Uh, uh, foolish baseball on Twitter. Uh, it's uh, foolish BB, right? correct all right at foolish bb jim is at passing jim i am at uh adam c mac uh thanks again for uh listening and uh hopefully when uh, jim and i will be back after the uh after the world series to talk some off-season baseball thanks guys